0: When we see Israel here, we do not find him giving them a road map, saying, go to Mount Sinai, because actually Moses knew where it was. He'd been there for 40 years. It's over in Midian. He used to herd sheep on the side of the thing. All God had to do is say, take this group, get to Midian, I'll meet you in a month. And we would have had it. But that isn't the way he wants to work it. And we're going to see that he guides them by this great pillar of cloud a cloud by day, and that pillar apparently glowed with the glory of the Lord at night to such a degree that it would light the ground and they could see clearly where they were walking with this great glowing pillar of cloud at night. By that pillar, he protected them. You know, I know uh, a lot of people who up here say things like this. They say, I'm a sun person. I just love the sun. And I figure you haven't seen much of it. And, uh, you know, and so I understand. What you do, like to do is run out at a sunbreak and go, you know, get a little sun on your face or whatever. And that is nice. But those who've lived in really hot, sunny areas like Arizona know that the sun is a very powerful corrosive force. I remember talking to, to people who uh, worked out of doors in Arizona. And I heard this comment more than once. I got to get out of here. The sun is killing me. Uh, The sun gives skin cancer. It gives heat stroke. There's a terrible sunstroke disease that's reasonably common in Arizona. Once you've had it for years afterwards, if you get out in the sun at all, this weakness comes over you. It puts some kind of toxin in your system, and just a little bit of sun triggers that toxin, and we'll have people just go down with a a sunstroke uh, from having been poisoned by the sun. God actually covered Israel as they traveled. That cloud not only guided them, the cloud covered them and sheltered them from this glaring sun that would scorch and have Burn them. You can imagine two million people walking on foot through the Sinai Peninsula. How would you like to do that? In that kind of heat. And, and straight exposed to the sun. It would have been tremendously hard on them. God took this great cloud. And, and I believe it was a cloud. A great uh, a great one of those storm clouds. A great cumulus cloud or whatever. Uh, in a- Arizona. Again they have these in the monsoon, se- monsoon season there. It's... Um, mid July somewhere it gets so hot, you usually're averaging like one hundred and seventeen and and that hot air pulls the moist air up from the south, and that moist air hits this heat and it goes into these great mountainous clouds, huge they 're beautiful, big white uh, mountains of cloud, and they 'll rise as high as seventy thousand feet in the air. Uh, one of the hobbies people have there is, is, is soaring. You get these airplanes. My neighbor across the street used to, this was his hobby. And they would, they get towed by an airplane up into a certain level and then they cut them loose. And they just soar on those hot rising air in the desert and, and just can go all over the place, uh, just soaring in the silence. But he said, you know, one of the great dangers is you don't ever want to get under one of those great clouds because there's an updraft to them. You can get caught in that thing and literally forced up to 70,000 feet, and by the time they get you, you're an icicle. It freezes you to death. And so it's, it's really a very uh, dangerous thing. Those clouds are powerful things and go high in the air. I think that's what we're talking about. I think there's a great cloud that led them, just stayed with them, went right over them and before them. By that cloud, he led them personally day by day. He protected them, revealing hidden things that would cause them to stumble. He sheltered them, shading them from the glare of the scorching sun. It says that, by the way, I didn't just make that up. He guided them, leading them with direction and purpose. And he comforted them, showing them a sign of His presence day and night. Well, if you ever wondered the Lord was with him with you? You just had to look. There he is. There's the cloud. It literally says in, in a number of passages, "The Lord was in the cloud. The Lord was in the cloud. In fact, there's a, there's, a, there's a beautiful passage in Revelations 10 verse 1 where it says, I saw this strong angel come clothed in a cloud. Same thing. He was hiding his glory from Israel, but he personally was going with them. It says Yahweh was in the cloud. That's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. By the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus was going before them, wrapped in this great cloud, sheltering them and leading them and his glory would light it at night. And it literally lit the ground. What a trip, huh? I mean, what a time. I don't mean that as a drug trip. I meant as what a, what a, I know this generation, you can't use that language. Uh, what a, what a, a journey. <laughs> Today, the Lord still takes us into the wilderness. We looked at that. If you recall, we talked about going from slaves to warriors. And we said that God takes us out into the wilderness and deliberately leads us into places where there is lack, where there's difficulties, where there's challenges, so that he can do a miracle, so that we will see his power and love and our faith will be built. He's not being cruel. He's actually bringing us to an opportunity so he can show his power on our behalf and build our faith. His intention was to take Israel... In the wilderness for about two years and several months, he had 10, that's all, 10 tests in mind, in which he specifically says there was 10 of these, and that's all it was going to take in his mind, and their faith would be built, and he'd take them in, and they'd have their promised land. And we saw, of course, they did not respond positively to those tests, but instead blamed God and got angry at him. And spent 40 years in the wilderness. Those 40 years were not God's plan. He had two years and several months planned. They ended up 40 years in the wilderness because of their stubbornness. Because they refused to believe. So today the Lord still does this process with us. That's why we're looking at it. He takes us into the wilderness where we face trials just as he did with Israel. He still wants wants to use such events to build our faith. He wants to teach us to overcome by drawing on his constantly available power. And so, as he did with Israel, he doesn't send us into the wilderness alone, but he personally goes with us. We, too, are given the cloud and the fire. Holy Spirit, would you open the word to us that we might see it with spiritual eyes, for we choose to obey your word and not hear it only, but to be doers of it. Grace us and grace me to speak your word so we can hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 13. Verse 21 and 22 there. It says, the Lord was going before them, and this is, this is from the moment they left the boundaries of Egypt, this pillar of cloud was given to them. The Lord was going before them in a great pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way. And in a pillar of fire by night, to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, from before the people. Numbers chapter 9. Let me just show you some of those verses, starting at verse 15. This is a description by Moses of how that cloud dealt with them once they had the tabernacle built. That tabernacle is a tent they make made in which uh, the table of showbread, the the lampstand was there, the uh, the ark of the covenant. It was their, It was their place of worship. And it says now on the day that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle. So that cloud went right over their place of worship and sheltered it. It was it was uh, shaded, the tent of the ta- testimony. And in the evening, it was the like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continuously the cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent, afterward the sons of Israel would then set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp. So they just stayed right with this cloud. If it moved, they moved. If it stayed, they stayed. Now that's how we get guidance, isn't it? Notice, God is literally, as it were, taking them by the hand and just saying, follow me. It it goes on. Even when the cloud lingered over the tabernacle for many days, the sons of Israel would keep the Lord's charge and not set out. If sometimes the cloud remained a few days over the tabernacle, according to the command of the Lord, they remained camped. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. If sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning... When the cloud was lifted in the morning, they would move out. Or if it remained in the daytime and at night, whenever the cloud was lifted, they would set out. You got the point. When it moved, they moved. When it stayed, they stayed. If it was a short time, if it was a long time, didn't matter. They just watched the cloud and moved with it. There's a sermon in that in terms of our guidance, isn't there? When he doesn't move, you don't move. (laughs) How many of us have left the cloud in the dust? I sure have. Mm-hmm. And heavens, his mercy and grace goes with us, but it doesn't mean you don't get the glaring um, heat of the sun hit you. It, it, it's it's not a good place. All right, number one, trials alone, this these tests in the wilderness will not build a person's faith if they're simply trials. In fact, they have the reverse effect. Trials can make people bitter at God. The question always arises, why me? What did I do to deserve this? People feel, when they have hardships, that they are victims of God's injustice. You see, just being led into the wilderness and just having trials won't build your faith. There has to be another element that transforms this. It is God's presence going with us that makes all the difference. If I go alone into the wilderness, into these hard places, they literally will kill me. If I go with God, if I have that cloud and fire, I'm staying near the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, then I have experiences of having my faith built, and I I see the glory and grace of God in each situation. It's the difference between becoming embittered or emboldened. The trials of life will either embitter you or they will embolden you. If you learn to turn to the Lord and see his miracles, these trials will become part of your testimony. They become great moments in your history where you saw God move. But if we go without him, they can simply embitter us and become part of the... Of the, the sad legacy of our lives that we look back upon. Two people can go through the same identical events, and one comes out broken and cynical, and the other comes out stronger than ever. Let me repeat that. Two people can go through the same identical events, and one comes out broken and cynical. And the other comes out stronger than ever. I want to show you an example of that. You're in Numbers. Just flip over to chapter 14. Verse 20. We have gone forward in time. Moses is... uh, Actually, having to intercede for the people because the Lord is so frustrated with them, He's brought them to the boundaries of the promised land, and He said, "Now go in and take the land." And their answer was, "No. Are you kidding? You're going to send us in there, and we're all going to get killed." And so, you, so there's this just tremendous letdown. I mean, after all this preparation, forty years wait, or not forty years, a few years we were at the borders of the promised land, and they refused to go in. Now, look what it said here. Verse 20. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them, after Moses interceded, according to your word. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these, how many times? There you have it. These ten te- Every time God tested them, they tested God. They got the thing backwards. He was testing them so they would believe on him and pray to him and he'd do a miracle. They turn and in turn tested him and called him unfaithful. Then have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. But my servant who... Caleb, he has had a different spirit. Notice that. And has followed me fully. I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Now, let's re- reflect what had happened. When they arrived at the board of the land, the Lord said, go in and take it. Well, they said, we'd like to send spies. And so, okay. They sent 12 spies. Now, what was the report of those spies? Ten of them said... Don't go in, they're huge, Uh, it's like attacking the Seattle Seahawks, they're bigger than we are, you're going to just get, and then they have high-walled cities, and advanced military, Uh, we're going to go in and just get pummeled, Uh, don't do it. But two of them came back with a different report. They didn't deny that they were high-walled cities, but they focused on the fact that the, the land was full of, uh, of, of fruitfulness, and it was a beautiful, bountiful land. And then they said, if God says go, well, go. He'll give it to us. So they responded with faith. And their names were Joshua and, ah, here's Caleb. This is, this is our Caleb. These people. Now, I now turn to Joshua. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, Joshua. So right out of the what's that the sixth book? Joshua chapter 14 verse 6. Now, after 40 years in the wilderness, after Joshua has led the people over the Jordan River, they have gone in and conquered a good portion of the land, but there's still a lot left to do. But it's now time to divide the land among the tribes. And this is what happens. Verse 6. Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kinezite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. It's that word I read you just a moment ago. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Now behold... The Lord has let me live, just as he spoke, these forty-five years. How old is he? He is now eighty-five years old. The Lord, uh, uh, these forty-five years, from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am eighty-five years old. Today. I am still as strong. Look at verse 11. I am still as strong today As I was in the day Moses sent me, as my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and for coming in. All of his classmates, all of his generation are all dead now. The wilderness has killed them. But this man, and Joshua, but this man with faith in his heart, not only is not dead... He is incredibly preserved. I want you to notice what happens when we walk in faith with God. The trials and challenges of life do not break us down, but we grow stronger with the passing of years. Some of you are worried, if I follow the Lord, if I serve the Lord, what will happen? Will I burn out? No, you will be actually strengthened and preserved. You'll be one wild... Senior, citizen. <laughs> he says, I am as strong today as I was as a 40-year-old man. Have, have you watched men and women who really age in the Lord? I mean, stay full of the Lord? I have. I can, I'm, I'm thinking of one of our, one of our, our, our leaders. His name was Dr. Van Cleve, Nathaniel Van Cleve. And uh, as he got older, they'd have to almost help him into the pulpit. And then you'd watch this old guy and you'd think, boy, what is going to happen? And then you'd watch something come over him. And he'd open that word and, and his voice would get strong and resonant and the anointing would come and he'd preach. He'd go, whoa. You could literally see God just lift him up. And empower him. That old body's, you know, he was getting really old. That old body. But the spirit of him was stronger than ever. (laughs) People, if you walk in faith, not only will it not kill you you will be strengthened and preserved by it. Sometimes this verse is precious to me. The one I'm sharing with you right now is really precious to me because sometimes when I whine and I'm worried, oh God, you know, it's so hard. (laughs) The Lord reminds me of Caleb. And he says, you walk in faith with me, go on. This will not kill you. I will hold you in my hand. I'll preserve you. Now, Now watch Caleb's next words, verse 12. It really gets wild. He says, Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard that on that day that the Anakim were there. Who are the Anakim? The giants. Yeah. He says, I want the territory down around Hebron where all those giants and high-walled cities are. I want the toughest, meanest bunch of hombres around here. Give them to me. And he says, "Then I love this with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me. It'd be good if it were he were, and I shall drive them out as the Lord has spoken." And then it says, "So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. That's where Abraham had lived. That's that's the heartland for an inheritance. Then Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, until this day, because he fully followed the Lord God of Israel." At 85, he takes his family and his sons and whoever else and his sword and he goes down and he cleans out the toughest nest of Canaanites in the town and takes the land. At 85, walking in faith with God, when you and I learn to draw on the power of the Holy Spirit, when we learn to soar on eagles' wings... When we learn the reality of depending on the presence of God day by day, you have a preserving quality. You have a strengthening thing that you, that you will be preserved far beyond those who walk in the flesh. It says, "You will mount up with wings as eagles. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not faint." Young lions and all, they may grow faint and hungry, but not you who walk with the Lord. You will have a strength in you beyond what anyone else has. That's what we're talking about today, the cloud and the fire. If you and I go through the wilderness alone, it will kill us. If you and I go through the trials of life without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit on a day-by-day basis, drawing on God, not just theoretically being a Christian. I'm talking about relationship now. Learning to connect. Learning to hear from Him. Learning to have Him refresh you and change your heart. Learning to have the Spirit of the Lord rise up within you. That's what I'm talking about. In that situation, the trials of the wilderness will become testimonies to the greatness of God as you tell the light your life story. If you walk in the flesh, though you're a Christian, the same corrosive influence of life will break you down. And don't we know, old, bitter, disillusioned Christians, they're a terrible scandal to the name of the Lord. People look at them and say, well, look what Christianity has done for them. I don't see anything different because they haven't walked differently. If Israel moved out from that cloud, if they moved away from the covering and protection and empowerment of God, they would have been destroyed just like anybody else. But they stayed near the Lord, at least some of them did, and they were preserved. When Jesus was ministering in Samaria, if you recall, at that well where he met the woman He'd been going for a long time without food, and his disciples began to worry for him. And they they said to him, Master, uh, come and eat. You you need lunch. You need to, you're gonna get exhausted by ministering so constantly and not taking care of yourself. And what did Jesus say? He said, I have food you know not of. I'm drawing on a power right now you guys don't understand. I'm walking in the spirit. I am full of the Holy Ghost, and I have a power in me that you don't even understand. I'll eat later. As he watched thousands of people, maybe hundreds at least, pouring out of the city of Samaria, coming up that road to see who was this who told that woman all that she had done. God's presence is constantly available to every Christian, but not every Christian has learned to draw their strength from his presence, have we? This becomes one of those theoretical things. Some people are ignorant. They just don't even know how to draw close to the Lord. Some people are in confusion. They were told when they became Christians that all their problems would go away if they would just receive Jesus in their heart. Well, how did it work? Did all your problems go away? They did not, did they? But all of a sudden, you have a new potential. All of a sudden, you are full of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, you have access to everything you need. To go through life with him. That's the Christian life. Going through life with him. As opposed to going through life alone. But it's still a choice. It's an option. It's something you must determine to do. If you, go, if you do not lay hold of him, you can go through in your own weakness and flesh. And have the same mess everybody else has. Some people are distracted. They just don't give, they don't give the Lord time. They don't, they don't draw on Him because of the busyness of the world. They are so busy that all their time and energy is spent doing other things. They, just, they love to be, be with the Lord, just don't have time. Some of us, frankly, it comes down to pride. We don't even think we need the Lord. We haven't come to the place where we're out. We're sick and tired of our own wisdom. We're sick and tired of our own goodness. We're sick and tired of our own failures. Have you come to the place where you don't like yourself much? That's a good place to come, but not a good place to stay. What happens is once I say, you know, I'm not a very nice person when I'm kind of just being me, I can be cruel and selfish, I can be angry and lustful, I can have all kinds of junk. But when I'm near Jesus, when I'm full of the Holy Spirit, I'm a different person. I'm kind. I've got faith. I'm concerned about others. I'm a different person when I'm with him. When you discover that simple mystery that I just described, when you get a hold of that, that's the secret for Christian maturity. Some of you are saying, you know, I've been a Christian so long. By now, I shouldn't be feeling these impulses. By now, I shouldn't be thinking. I'm going to tell you something. Until the resurrection, you're going to be like that. The old man is still the old man. Your old nature will stink just as much when you're 85 as when you were 13. The difference is that people along the way get tired of the old man. And say, you know, I'm going to have to get close to Jesus on a regular basis. I'm going to have to build a prayer life into my life. I'm going to have to learn to worship. I'm going to have to learn to lay hold of Him because I don't like me when I'm by myself. And that's Christian maturity. We simply learn to walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells you. And you and I can give dominion to the Holy Spirit. We can let him guide us and teach us. We can let him empower us and transform us. We can draw on him constantly. We're told we are given rivers of living water. We'll never run out. You're not going to drink this river dry. So we have all the resource in the world, but we must choose to use it. Let me show you how to do that. I'm going to skip forward to Romans 7. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans 7 describes the problem. Romans 8 describes the solution. Tell me if this sounds like you at times. For what I am doing, Romans 7 verse 15, what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Ever find yourself doing what you hate? Can't believe you're doing it? But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, the Bible, confessing the Bible is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Paul says, there is a power and a force at work in my body, in part of my old nature, my, uh, the, that which I've inherited from Adam and through my parents, and which I pass on to my children. He says, there's a force in me making me do something I don't want to do. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. Because, of course, something good does dwell in us. What is that? The Holy Spirit, you bet. Jesus, the Father, by, by that wonderful presence. He says, in my flesh, there's nothing good. For the willing, my heart, wants to do the right thing, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I don't want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And he goes on and describes this frustration of a person who wants to do the right thing, but has forces and powers and attitudes and appetites and tempers and fears, pulling and churning and dragging them around, making them do stuff they don't want. What's the solution? He ends up with, wretched man that I am. Who will free me from this body of death? And here's his answer. Chapter 8, verse 5 and 6. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, as it were, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Would you read verse 6 out loud with me, regardless of what version you have? For the mind set on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Let's do it again. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. In other words, the control point is where do I aim my mind? And over that, I have control. I can aim my mind on the flesh, or I can put my mind on the spirit. Now, I find that my mind automatically sort of gravitates to the flesh. I, I used to say, I, I wish I had a better default setting. It just, <laughs> you know, wake up in the morning. It's like you're just constantly having to take it off of this and onto this. But you have that control. You can choose. This verse is becoming really life to me. I mean, this, I have tended to be a person who looks at the negative. Now, my wife wouldn't believe that, but it's true. (laughs) And uh, I know I seem so buoyant and always optimistic, but if if there's a whole thing, I'll spot the flaw. Not only in others, I think the worst part's in myself. So no matter what happens, I can tell you what I did wrong and it, it, you get this really depressive kind of sick cycle or who's angry at me now and, and I can find my mind just gravitating to whoever's angry at me lately or whatever's going on. And this verse is, is just the Holy Spirit just brings back to me over and over again. The mindset on the flesh is death. And so there I am, sort of. I've I've gotten caught into one of those reveries where you're just beginning to think through something, you know, and you find your mind going, and then something jars me and says, "The mind set on the flesh is death." And I, think, oh yeah, and I take my mind. I just ignore this thing, and I I focus on the Lord. I just take my mind off it, and the mind set on the spirit is life and. How many need peace? (laughs) Life and peace. I'm learning to discipline my mind. It's where you aim your mind. You can control this. You can't control the appetites of your body. You can't, I mean, all of that kind of, you can't control those attitudes. But you can control the direction of your mind. You can set your thoughts on the Lord. In a minute, I'll get practical and tell you how, how to do that. One silly illustration first. I doubt that this is true I've heard it years ago, I can't even believe I remembered to bring it up. The story is that of a, a, a town in Alaska, a small town way up in the Yukon. And this, at, on Saturday nights, you know, people would come into town for what people come into town for. And, and uh, this old man would come in each Saturday night and he'd he brought in a couple of dogs, and he would hold a dog fight, and people would gather and gamble on the dog fight. I mean, we're bored up there, and, and um, you never knew from week to week uh, which dog would win. He had a black one and he had a white one, and they'd, they'd fight, and, and uh, people would gamble, and he'd head on out. Well, oh, one, one week uh, after the dog fights and all, he's walking out of town with his dogs, and a young boy comes and catches him on the road on the way out. He says, Mr., can I ask you a question? He says, sure, son, what? And he says, do you ever know which dog is going to win? And uh, the old man says, yes, in fact, I, I always know. He says, you do? How do you know? He said, uh, it's, it's the dog I feed that week that wins It's the dog I feed that week that wins. If I feed my spirit, my spirit grows strong. If I feed my flesh, my flesh grows strong. If I set my thoughts on the world and the things of the flesh, my flesh grows strong. If I set my thoughts on the things of the spirit, my spirit grows strong. You have control over this. You're not a victim. Doesn't matter what happened to you in childhood? You have this freedom now. You can take your mind and you can put it on Christ. You can put it on the things of God. How? Here are three practical ways. There are actually hundreds of ways to do this. If we, we, we went around the room, we could all come up with different ways that God has taught us to set our minds on the things of God. But here are three essential parts to that puzzle I think it's hard to do without. Number one, corporate worship. I say that because we're in a generation when, when the idea of going to church is, is sort of despised. It's considered uh, an option for those who need it uh, kind of thing. We, we, we feel that our, our spirituality is an individual thing, and we just, we just go to church like we'd go to a grocery store to get commodities. And, and uh, yet, I want you to see something different. Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus says, For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. How many do you have to have to have church? Two people. In other words, you, you, you're, if you're married, you've you, you got a portable church. Yeah. You do. In fact, I wish you'd think of it that way. Your family can be gathered at a table and all of a sudden take hands and go into prayer and you now have the church gathered for prayer. And Jesus says that I will consider that as my church, as much as I would with a thousand people gathering, I'm there in your midst. Now you say, well, isn't he always with us? Yes, he is by the Holy Spirit. However, he wouldn't have said that if it didn't mean something special. He wasn't being poetic. He was making a point. I, he says, I acknowledge when you gather with other believers in my name. In other words, for my purposes. I come in a special way. There's, a, there's an availability and a dimension in my presence that isn't there the same way. When you gather in my name. When two or three. Now this is a good subject to bring up at the beginning of summer. Some people I may not see till September and so I need to get this word in. (laughs) I just want to put this in perspective. You don't need a break from God. In fact, if you take a break from God, you get real icky. All of the water skiing and the fishing And the camping and the mowing of your grass and your barbecuing of chicken will not replace your setting your mind on the things of God. Do you understand? You don't need recreation. You need recreation. Ooh. I'm I'm starting to preach now. All right. It's really true. I mean, I don't mind. I mean, I, I'm going to take a vacation too. But you'll find that if you disconnect from God, you really go right back into the flesh. And some folks, by the end of summer, are just, have, have lost all their momentum. They're right back into the same sour little puddle they they been years ago or whatever. And they have to kind of work their way back into the spirit to be of any use to themselves or their families. Don't take a vacation from God. Now, if you go camping, you take your guitar or your Bible or your tapes and you take them along with you. And you have church if it's out in a campground. You hear? You gather. Somebody takes out the word. If you don't know what else to do, read a passage and everybody explain a verse or two what it means to them. But you give God time. Set your mind on Him. Worship Him. Put Him in the middle of what you do. And that same edification and grace will come. You don't need a vacation from God. I heard one pastor make the comment, he says, on Mondays I don't do anything religious. I want you to know I do exactly the opposite. On Mondays is my day, I got to press into God, or I'm going down the tubes. I have a real letdown. And the last thing you want me is in the flesh when I have a letdown. I get so sour, it's awful. And so I've got to have God in my letdown. When you're tired, when you're burned out, what you need is the Holy Spirit. That's the very thing that will recreate you as opposed to simple recreation. Number two, Sabbath. Now, by this, I am not encouraging those of you who are legalistic Sabbath keepers. I am not trying to say it has, you know, hot diggity dog, here he goes, he's going to finally speak it. Um, (laughs) As Christians, there is not one day above another if you have a mature conscience. Um, However, however, the principle contained in the Sabbath is absolutely valid. And that is that you can't go longer than... A week without an intense personal time with God. That's what a Sabbath's about. Taking a a prolonged period of time so that you break through all of the thinking and the confusion and the worries and 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 the busyness of life and you are able to actually break through that membrane into the presence of the Holy Spirit and hear the Lord speak to you. You need that at least once a week. A vacation a year won't do it. We only make it about a week at a time. God taught us that. He says he rests after six days. Surely we need to. So the Sabbath is an important principle. I want to show you that in Isaiah 58. Isaiah chapter 58 verse 13. Just two verses. But look at the look at the. Uh, the power that uh, Isaiah talks about. He says, if because of the Sabbath, you, you take a day, doesn't matter if it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but you take, you take a day, and what I'm suggesting is you take at least four or five hours, you take a significant chunk where you are with the Lord, Not making some legalistic set of rules that I can't take the garbage out on this day. But the point being you will go somewhere, whether it be your living room or you get in the car, I don't wherever it is, but you separate yourself unto God for a significant period of time. Somebody the other day called it, I need my marathon time with God. In other words, where I stay at it till I break through. You need to break through once a week at least. Look what it says it will happen. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure. In others, uh, Sabbath isn't a day off to go water skiing or mow the grass. I mean, that is not what he's talking about when he talks about a Sabbath. And call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor it desisting from your own ways. In other words, put God first from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word. It's not about a vacation or a day off. It's spending time with God. Then you will take delight in the Lord. Remember that passage that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give to you all the desires of your heart. He's telling you how to take delight in him, spend time with him. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. Whoa. He says, if you will take time with me, I'll change your life. And he will. This is what we're missing When we lose purpose, when we lose direction, when we feel, I don't know why I'm alive, I can tell you you're not having a Sabbath. It's as sure as the sun coming up in the morning. Because if you were spending time with God, you would know what you're doing. He'd tell you. You would have direction and purpose. He'd give it to you. And if you don't have it, I can tell you why. You're not checking in. You're not near the cloud and the fire. You're out there walking in the glare of the sun and of life, and it's wearing you down. That's what's happening. He goes on. He says, Then you'll take delight in the Lord, and I'll make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And you'll get the blessings of Abraham. I was in a meeting in Los Angeles a week or so ago, and the meeting was a bunch of high-level religious leaders. You'd think they know better, huh? We'd had some perfunctory prayer and we charged right on into the meeting because we had an awful lot to do. And uh, that meeting was so sour. Oh, what an icky meeting. Pardon me, but... And, and one of the people there was Jack Hayford. Do you know who Jack Hayford is? He's a, he's a pastor of Church on the Way in Los Angeles. And um, he's a four-square pastor. And he was there and he, he finally had it to hear. And he said, this meeting... He said, you know, if we had just taken 30 minutes at the beginning of this meeting and given it to prayer and worship, he said, if he, he said, if you would do this, and he's looking at this group, and he said, if you would do that every time, he said, you would find, and he just rattled this off the top of his head. I'm taking notes. He said, you would have greater intellect. In other words, when you get full of the Spirit, you're smarter than you are when you aren't. In the flesh, you're... Not much. In the spirit, you're downright inspiring. That's the difference. And you can choose. You and I can choose which it is we're going to be. He says you'll have greater intellect. You'll have sweeter relationships. You'll have economy of time. In other words, you may feel I have so much to do, I cannot take the time for prayer. He would argue if you have that much to do, you can't afford to do without it that take the time on the front end to get in the spirit, the time you have left will be far more economically used. You'll have far better decisions in far shorter time. I mean, how much time do you save by a right decision? I mean, haven't you learned? I sure have. I can make a decision. And then I have to walk through the mess of picking up the pieces afterwards? I can spend months undoing a mess I made. Or I can make a right decision and all of a sudden it's just... Phew, there's ease. How much is a right decision worth? God's willing. He's, he says, if you would take the time and stop running after your own ways and pursuing your own stuff, sit with me until I can talk to you. I will open your intellect. I will teach you things and show you what to do and you'll... You will have success in your life because I will be the one guiding you. You will ride on the heights of the earth. He says you'll have greater intellect, sweeter relationships, economy of time, and prophetic words. A year or so ago, I was under a great deal of pressure. Some real ugly things going down and, and I got so bad I decided I had to pray. Anybody relate to that? And uh, we, I, I asked my daughter, uh, my daughter said, Dad, you don't look good. And I said, I'm not. And, and she said, do you mind if I call someplace and, and uh, see if I can get a reservation for you and mom? You need to go, you need to go someplace. And uh, so she called a place, and, and we went out there. And two nights. First evening, I just sat there and, Read the paper and belched. And, and uh, <laughs> I just exhausted, you know. But the next day, I determined to fast and give the day to the Lord. And I wasn't coming out of that day without hearing from Him. Because I, was, I really desperately needed to hear from God. You know, when you're anxious and worried and frightened, the thing you need to hear is from God. Uh, and we can. But it isn't cheap or easy. You know, God, here, you know, give... You, the problem is you're so worried it takes you a while to get through that callous. And I sat and I said quite a bit of the day. Uh, Mary was praying and, and uh, all one place and I was another. And I just sat for a long time. And you know, I, what do I do? I'm, I, I'll read. I'll, I write all my worries down. I, I, do, I just sort of kind of keep processing. Knowing that if I'll stay in his pursuing him long enough, at some point I break through. And sure enough, I did. As the afternoon wore on, there came a moment, a season, where I I literally felt he was sitting in the chair next to me. And I could ask him questions, and immediately I was receiving answers. I have my notebook out. I'm asking questions, and I'm writing down the answers as I'm giving them. And they aren't what I would expect. They aren't my answers. Now I want you to know, I followed his instructions and actually I'm still pursuing some of them. He told me where I was in my life. He told me what was ahead for me for my season. He gave instructions not about, only about the church but about, about my own family, about myself personally, what I was to be doing. As I followed those instructions, every one of them has been absolutely as sound as a dollar. The other day I was feeling real discouraged again and I was having a hard time breaking through and the Lord said, well, if you're not getting fresh guidance from me now, go back and reread what I instructed you earlier. And I just went back and I began to read his words to me again and get fresh guidance and fresh strength from it right there. People, life will wear us down. People are mean. People, things are cruel and unfair and unjust. Life will eat you up like acid. Acid. Unless you're covered with the cloud. If you, let, if you come under the Lord's covering, if you let him cover you with his hand, if you draw near to him, if you go through life with him, you'll have guidance and strength and ability and you literally will be unnerving to people who watch you because you'll have a joy that doesn't make sense. You'll have wisdom that they don't know how you get that wisdom You'll have a blessing on your life and a protection on your life that's just simply beyond what anyone else has. We either go through life alone or we go through life with the cloud and the fire, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads with me? I have not done this in any of the other services, but I am feeling right now that there is someone in particular maybe that I need to give an invitation to I'm talking about going through life with the Holy Spirit. And you have really not made the step to open your life to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think there's a lot of people like that, but I think there's somebody. And I was about to give a prayer in just response to what I've been preaching on. And the Holy Spirit said, no, there's someone who hasn't entered life at all. They don't have that option. Don't let them go without at least an opportunity. And so I'm going to give that opportunity right now. If you know that you have never made that deliberate step to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been living life alone, and I'll bet you it's been eating you like acid. And you, as you hear me talk, you say, I need that. I need the presence of God. I need the wisdom of God. I need the strength of God. I, I know now I really need him. And so today, because of this message even itself, you know it's time for you to lay hold of God, take his hand, and go through life with him and not without him. I want to give you the opportunity right now to make that, that, that choice. And to make it a definite, definitive thing that you're doing this very moment. Does anyone want to raise your hand and say, Pastor, it's me. I need to make that choice today to choose Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I need to go with him. Yes, praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Savior. Yes, in your hand. The Lord knew you were here. And yours and yours. Praise God. I'm so glad I listened. And yours, I see your hand. God bless you forgive me Lord if I was going to go on thank you Holy Spirit now I want you to know something this promise is very real it isn't necessarily easily learned because we're stubborn and we're independent but I want you to know the power of God for you to walk with him is there for you and you will find the reality of what I've spoken this is not bluff and it's not fluster; it's truth and your life, he you will ride on the heights. And some of you are just giving your life to him right now. Some of us have a lot of bad habits, some of us Christians. And we haven't learned to give him time and to put a Sabbath time in our, our week and all of that. And we're just doing it now. But You start your Christian life with this. You start it right now and you'll be blessed from day one. You'll be blessed from day one. Anyone else need to just say, Pastor, that's this is my day. I'm going to make that confession. I just before I go on in prayer. I'll give one more opportunity. God bless you, yes, and you. Praise God. Praise God. All right, church, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. I need him so much. I have sinned. I make mistakes. I need guidance. I can't make it without him. I acknowledge that today and I have sinned against you and grieved your father's heart please forgive me I accept your son you sent him for me he died on the cross paying for my sins I personally have sent Jesus to the cross But with all my heart, I believe that he paid for my sins. That by dying there, the punishment that I should have had fell on him. So that I am released. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for washing my sins away. For bearing the stripes that I should have suffered. I thank you, and I will for all eternity. This day, because I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God. I am born again. He has given me his Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I put my hand in yours. From this day forward, when you move, I'll move. When you stay, I'll stay. You're my Lord. I will follow as you guide me. Fill me now with the Holy Spirit. And if you're praying this particularly for the first time, just put your hand on your heart, would you? Uh, Anyone's welcome to do this, but the gift of God to you, right this moment, instantly, is that He fills you with His Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ, you become a holy temple, and the Spirit of God comes literally inside your body. I mean, He joins you in your very center. And so He's there, and I just want you to to be aware of that, and by putting your hand on your heart, you're just, as it were, laying your hands on yourself. Come, Holy Spirit, and dwell within this temple. I welcome you into my life. Come be my strength, my wisdom, my goodness. Be the peace of my life. Apart from you, I will not be able to walk the Christian life. But with you, my strength, day by day, I not only will walk the Christian life, but I will ride on the heights. For you are a great God and love me dearly. I confess this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.